and understand why it is in a country that supposedly is a democracy with leaders elected who are supposed to represent us, that when 92% of Americans feel that we need to do something about this problem, absolutely nothing has been done. That is the real issue we're faced with here. And that's what everybody ought to be asking themselves. Why is it it hasn't happened? It's really important for people to figure out ways if they retire to stay active and to do things that are not as passive as you described, but also uh, will give their life some meaning. Meaning is something that's really important. That's retired U.S. General Peter Chiarelli, followed by Dr. Eric Larson, clinical professor at the University of Washington School of Public Health. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. What was General Chiarelli referring to when he said that 92% are in support? A. 92% of the people want Donald Trump to take a long vacation to Mar-a-Lago and never come back? B. 92% think the Seahawks will win the Super Bowl. C. 92% think homelessness will be solved in 2019 or D. 92% believe in gun control. Any one of those choices would be desirable, but the answer is D. Gun control. I attended a downtown Seattle Rotary Club meeting, and General Chiarella and conservative talk show host and founder of the Washington Policy Center, John Carlson, debated gun control. This is one of those debates that is so worn out, but I decided to attend because a retired general was arguing for gun control. I thought that was pretty compelling. I remember driving to lunch on December 14, 2012, and listening in horror to the slaughter of children at Sandy Hook. I said to myself then, if this doesn't prompt further federal restriction on guns, nothing will. Well, now, seven years later, we of course had Las Vegas mass shooting a couple of years ago, and then over the weekend, the mass shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. We are still at the same place arguing common sense approaches. Now, here's a stat that is absolutely stunning. There were 38,000 gun deaths in the United States in 2017. In Japan, there were three. That's right, three. One, two, three. Who has a better handle on this? I had Dr. Mark Del Picaro, chief medical officer with Seattle Children's, talking about childhood diseases recently. He raised the issue of gun violence in children. I will replay his observations again today. And Dr. Eric Larson is considered an expert in aging, and he has some very interesting things to say about what we can do to age more successfully. Dr. Larson wrote a book called Enlightened Aging, Building Resilience for a Long and Active Life. Back with my interview with Dr. Larson in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. 
One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com, all one word. Dr. Eric Larson, a clinical professor at the University of Washington School of Public Health and Health Services, is with me. He is an expert in the aging field, and he recently wrote a book called Enlightened Aging, Building Resilience for a Long Active Life. I had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Larson prior to his speech at the Rotary Club in downtown Seattle. My first question before we got into things that you can do to age more successfully, what is the latest research into Alzheimer's disease and dementia, and what do we know about Alzheimer's disease that we didn't know, let's say, 30 years ago? Well, what we know is that it's very common, and it's driven by age, that older people become, you know, over time, the greater the risk. A 50-year-old person like your mom is very unusual. That's like 0.01% of cases. But when you hit 75, 80, and especially 85, the rates go up pretty dramatically. And we also know that a lot more about that biochemistry. And we also know that in older people, it's not just Alzheimer's disease, but it's a series of other insults that accumulate in the brain. So little strokes things called Lewy bodies, along with the so-called plaques and tangles of Alzheimer's disease, are, are, are very common. And one of the reasons that's important is that so far, we've not found any good way to prevent the plaques and tangles, but we can possibly prevent the vascular component of brain aging. One of the things that we've found in the last really five, six years is that in some countries, especially advanced Western countries, the rates are going down, and that's primarily because we've controlled vascular risk, and we've also built up what what I call brain reserve through better education and better general health in early life and throughout the life course. When we read, and we've heard over the years, that you keep your active mind, like doing crossword puzzles and staying active exercise and things like that, those are all good, of course. I mean, just from just living your lifestyle. But does that do anything for a hedge on, let's say, dementia and Alzheimer's? I think it does. I think it does. I I don't think that you can specifically stop the plaques and tangles by doing crossword puzzles, but you can can get better at it if you practice it as opposed to not if you don't. And with regard to exercise, it looks like exercise affects part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is where memory lives and seems to enhance the ability of the hippocampus to not shrink and become less effective over time. And uh, it's a lot, there's some debate in this, but by and large, uh, if there is any one magic bullet, it's probably habitual exercise to reduce a person's risk of Alzheimer's. Great. Um, what other things have you uncovered about Alzheimer's over the years that surprise you in dementia and things like that, that that maybe the general public doesn't know about? We didn't really understand how to deal with the challenges of memory loss and, more importantly, the challenges of some of the behavior changes that happen with Alzheimer's disease. Now we're much better at accepting some of these changes as not something you try to correct in a person, but you actually try to work with that person from where they are, and you avoid some of the catastrophic uh, uh, problems that, that can happen because our 
giving people drugs that sedate them and, and have side effects or uh, uh, cause people to become agitated because you're trying to say now, you're not right. It's, it's not Monday, it's Tuesday. It, you know, some of those things are, are now kind of common sense. And the other thing we learned with the early work is that uh, there are certain drugs which make dementia worse or actually look like dementia. We, we're now avoiding those more, more often than not. And then the other thing is there's an awful lot of people who become demented very late in life and they're not unhappy. They don't have a dis-ease even though they have a disease. And I think over time we begin to understand that a little bit better. How about like medication management that's been called, and I've heard this for years, and that's like, let's say, seniors taking five, six, seven, even 10 or 12 uh, drugs at a time and these interactions that come into play. How much uh, do you think that's a factor in this? Uh, it, it depends on, this, on the place. It's, it, it probably varies all over the map, but one of the most important papers that I ever wrote was a paper called adverse drug reactions causing cognitive impairment in the elderly, where we showed that the most common reversible cause of dementia were drugs from sedatives to opiates to a certain kind of antihypertensive or blood pressure drugs that were in use in those days. And I think that we're getting better because of increased awareness, but it's always out there because as our brains become older and a little less able to be resilient, uh, we're more prone to adverse effects of drugs. So one of the best things uh, a person can do either as a doctor or as a family member or as an individual is to say, can I go over my drugs? Do I really need all these drugs? And there have been now some studies on so-called de-prescribing, showing that you can stop drugs and there's no adverse consequences. How about retirement? The age is kind of 65 years old and people say, I'm going to retire. Do you think that that sort of shift in your mindset going from an active life and then watching reruns of Madlock and things on TV and things like that, and you kind of really go into a really sedate type of world environment, mm -hmm. does that affect, do you believe, um, I think dementia? So. I think so. I think, you know, it's really important for people to figure out ways if they retire to stay active and to do things that are not as passive as you described but also uh, will give their life some meaning. Meaning is something that's really important. There's a really interesting study that was done uh, using the age of retirement that's the social policy of eight or nine different countries and if you looked at a common memory or cognitive test across those eight or nine countries the earlier the date of retirement, or the age of retirement, the lower the score in that country's population. So it's, it's in an economics journal, by, of, all, of all things, making the point that there is some value to nourishing your brain with, with work. Of course. Final question, because we're running out of time for you, and that is, uh, do you think we'll ever find a cure for like Alzheimer's, or is that something that is too many factors? Uh, that's a, a really good question, and uh, is, if you mean a cure, can we can we absolutely prevent it? Or once a person gets it, uh, it can be having no no effect on them. Like we can cure or prevent uh, can some cancers and 
and prevent polio? I don't think so. I mean, there are just so many things going on in the brain that uh, it's really complicated. And any one of my points is there is no one magic bullet for this condition and many other conditions of aging, but you can do a lot to make the situation better. And what would be a couple final things that you would say? We've talked about some, but you hit on something right there before we go in terms of what can people do to make the situation better? I think you start off by, by learning what the science has taught us. You start off by observing how people have been more or less successful as they age, and then you add these elements of, uh, we call it, proactivity, acceptance, and building the three reserves mental, physical, and social reserves, which build up your cognitive reserve and hopefully will stave off the cognitive decline as long as possible. That's Dr. Eric Larson, clinical professor at the University of Washington School of Public Health and Health Services. I attended a meeting of the uh, downtown Seattle Rotary Club, and on this particular day, they had a debate on gun control. Retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli argued for increased gun control measures, and John Carlson from the Washington Policy Center and conservative talk show host argued against. First, you will hear John Carlson talking about reasons for not having more gun control, followed by a response from General Peter Chiarelli. There's four things that we want to do, need to do, if we want to get a handle on gun violence in this country, whether it is criminal, whether it is by suicide, whether it is by mass shooting. The first I already mentioned, and that is dramatically increase the penalties on people who steal firearms or who sell them. The second, and this is a long time in coming, we have got to ease confinement standards for the violently mentally ill in this country. Uh, there are a lot of people who, for their own good and for the safety of others, uh, should simply be given, in the name of compassion for them, uh, three meals a day, ongoing care, not just left to wander the streets at night. I get up in the middle of the night to do my show, I drive through downtown, and it's so tragic. It's so sad seeing people who might not even know where they are or what they're doing, just <laughs> roaming and staggering. Surely something should be done for these people. The third is that Briefly. we need to find practical ways to keep mentally ill people from accessing firearms, and I think it means presidential leadership and from Congress to make it happen, and, and fourth, rather, uh, suicide prevention measures on a very proactive basis. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Retired U.S. Army General you know, Peter Chiarelli's response. I would ask response. you to look at this debate to, to, and, and, and move up to the 40,000-foot level. Move away from the fringes, as Mark told us to do. Look at it in totality and understand why it is in a country that supposedly is a democracy with leaders elected who are supposed to represent us, that when 92% of Americans feel that we need to do something about this problem, absolutely nothing has been done. That is the real issue we're faced with here. And that's what everybody ought to be asking themselves. Why is it it hasn't happened? All right, big round of applause. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
That's John Carlson speaking for no further measures for gun control and a response from retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli. at the downtown Seattle Rotary meeting and caught up with retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli after the presentations. I spoke about my pessimism after the Sandy Hook slaughter in December of 2012, and my reaction at the time was, if this doesn't bring gun control to the forefront to ban assault weapons for background checks and all of the things that the vast majority of Americans think need to be done to bring sensible gun control. It won't happen if this doesn't move the needle. Now, this interview did take place before the mass shootings this weekend that occurred in El Paso, Texas, and in Dayton, Ohio. I asked General Chiarelli what he thought. I totally agree. I mean, I think you have to look at this as a much larger issue than gun control. I mean, it's not just that 92% of Americans want something done. If you go all the way down the line of the questions you can ask about this, it's a large majority of Americans from both Republican and Democrat want things done to control these. And, and, and I think you really have to look at this, this much larger issue of how can we be so almost unanimous in wanting things to happen and That's not my question. have it happen. That's what I'm saying with the Sandy Hook. If it's not going to happen now, it's never going to happen. So I'm total pessimistic. I didn't want to yeah, come well. to this today because it's the same old arguments turnover. We'll probably have a mass shooting in the next two weeks and then they'll say, well, you know, the same old arguments go. It's just kind of like you hit the point and go, what's it going to take? I honestly think things are changing. I think, I think the composition of Congress is changing. I think as more millennials uh, make their way into uh, representing uh, us in Congresses, uh, in Congress and, and in state legislatures, you're going to see a, a change in this. And I think we just have to keep beating the drum and, and, and no one wants to get rid of the Second Amendment. We understand the importance of it. At the same time, we can be sensible about its application. Mark's a good friend of mine, and he did a great job today. When he says about the fringes on both sides, I sometimes think we get lost in that. I'm for gun control, and so many people I know, we hang around our own tribes, but there's not one person that I know that says you shouldn't have a gun. If you want one, you should be able to hunt. You should be able to do all that. I think that's a little bit false equivalent. I spent 40 years in the military, and that's the last thing I'm ever going to say. But when, when we start talking about you know, mental health tests, and you don't understand how difficult it is to make that distinction. It's not like going in and, and somebody, in fact, taking an x-ray and saying, you have a tumor. To try to make the determination and to draw that line about when you're going to take away that Second Amendment right and when you're not going to take that Second Amendment right, it is a red herring that people continue to throw up. 
What we really need to do is close the loopholes when it comes to registration and background checks on weapons in all the states, not just in the few of the states like Washington that has been a leader in this area. We've, we've got to do it everywhere across the country. That's retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli. Well, I'm certainly glad that he left with some optimism, with maybe a swing in the voters in this country, but sensible gun control can't happen soon enough. Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Chief Medical Officer of Seattle Children's, was a guest on my show, Voices of Experience, and we were talking about the latest in research for curing childhood diseases. Now, in the course of that conversation, and not prompted by me, he brought up gun violence against children as being a public health crisis. Since we are talking about gun control today, I'm going to play a small segment of what Dr. Picaro had to say. Trauma and accidents still kill a lot of children. And in fact, in adolescence, death by gun is one is in the top five causes of death, believe it or not. We don't approach it in any way, shape, or form like that because of the whole political issue. Certainly. It is, in, in, in medicine, this is one of the biggest views of a public health emergency. I guarantee you... If children were dying of any other illness at the rate they die of gun violence, that society would be totally on top of getting rid of it. Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Chief Medical Officer at Seattle Children's. I think our biggest problem over the next 20 years or so is going to be handling the huge number of people who will seek to come here. Uh, Washington State and Seattle as its biggest city are now well known internationally. Uh, it's, we're not just a sleepy little uh, northwest uh, backwater. Uh, and, uh, and Seattle has sort of become a, uh, a new favorite. Uh, city uh, in the minds of many people, both here and abroad, I think we're going to have a tough time. Nationally, a country much more diverse than it is today, and we're going to have to pay a whole lot of attention to how we assimilate and, and how we work together uh, in, a, in an increasingly diverse nation and keep the strengths and the drive that we've had up to now. That's former governor and U.S. Senator from Washington State, Daniel J. Evans. And I had that interview with him over 20 years ago on Voices of Experience when I was broadcasting it another time. A lot of people have vision, and he is one that does. He was known for that as governor and U.S. senator. But listen to what he said. He was saying that Seattle was going to be growing by leaps and bounds. Amazon wasn't even an entity then. And uh, Starbucks was far from really growing into what it is today. But he could visualize the number of people that were coming here. And is probably paying attention to a lot of people throughout the world in his travels to see that Seattle was really becoming quite a place. So he mentioned that we have a tough time dealing with it, with all the different people coming here and assimilating to this area. And he was certainly right about that. 
You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. I would like to thank Dr. Mark Del Picaro, former governor and U.S. Senator Daniel J. Evans, from an interview I had with him from over 20 years ago, and of course, General Peter Chiarella for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. One more incredible statistic. They're not statistics, they're people. But I want to refer to the Las Vegas massacre that occurred on October 1st, 2017, when an individual by the name of Steve Paddock thought it was appropriate to check out a few rooms and then uh, bring in 14 AR-15 rifles, eight AR-10 rifles, and something called bum stock, which, which just allows you to shoot more bullets in a quicker period of time. That's for the layman, and that's who we are. He fired 1,100 rounds in 10 minutes, killing 58 people and injuring 851. What has happened since then on the federal level to tighten gun control? Absolutely nothing. Well, we're winding down the show for today. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of Voices of Experience. Now, I know this has been a very serious and not very upbeat show. I thank you for hanging with me. But this subject is one of the biggest blights on this country. No, I'm going to rephrase that. The biggest blight on this country that we have not been able to do anything about gun control. Let's take another turn and talk about going into business for yourself. I had an interview with Jason Pfeiffer, and he is the editor and publisher of Entrepreneur Magazine, I asked him what he thought were the most important ingredients in going into business for yourself. And we'll close out the show today with Jason. I'm a recycling obsessive, so I could absolutely see myself um, having gone into something that tried to work within the world of recycling. That's an important uh, space and and could probably use uh, some more energy. I think there you're talking about finding a niche and solving a problem. That's what I advise people to constantly think as an entrepreneur. Think of a niche, something there, and it could be something that's being done, but then you solve someone's problem. Recycling would be one of those. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's a good way to think of it. I mean, you know, entrepreneurism is problem solving, and uh, a business is a successful business is solving a problem for people. And, you know, it's, it's not always a problem that people are are out there articulating, right? I mean, Steve Jobs solved a lot of problems with the iPhone. Nobody knew that they had that problem. Uh, but um, 
um, but it is absolutely watching what people do, thinking about what they could, what they need, and then going out and um, you know and building something that people will love. Um, yeah, you know, you you can't just create something because you like the idea. You have to create something because people will love it.